where it feels like we don't have hope. And so um, in God's sovereignty and anticipation of this moment of sharing, we turn to the scriptures that are going to give us a sense of hope and belonging. And so <clears throat> if you have a Bible and you want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, you can do that. I want to just remind you, as we shift gears here, that Mike, he set the tone for us last week as he was talking about <clears throat> some of the fulfilled promises in the Christmas story and, and Jesus, the Messiah, coming. He talked about the wilderness. He said that we are here ourselves, find ourselves in the wilderness. And if you weren't here last week, you didn't hear the message for whatever reason, I encourage you, go back <clears throat> and listen to the message. I think you'll be encouraged by it. It was super helpful to me. But the long story short is that we have this hope that sometimes doesn't fully make sense to the world around us. And if we're honest, sometimes this hope doesn't even make sense to us. This morning's a perfect example of that. We don't fully grasp sometimes the reality of what that looks like. But we cling to the promises of what's to come, even though we don't fully understand it all. It's our faith and our hope that propel us forward into obedience, to put one foot in front of the other, no matter how challenging that particular day is. That's the heart of what we're after in all this. That God has made clear promises to us about our destiny, or our destination, if you like that word better. Very clear promises for us. There's a plan for each and every one of us, and that plan will come to pass, because that's what God ordained. Our hope is in his goodness, his faithfulness, and his consistency. And that's what anchors us to the promises in ways that should really thrust us forward in life instead of tiptoeing through life. We, we, we gauge our response to God based on who he is and who he's promised to be. And so Mike spent some time, or he will spend some time next week, um, talking about coming out of the wilderness of this life and into the life to come, the kind of the culmination of what that reality will look like when we stand before the Lord and all things have been made new. But I, I would tell you I'll be remiss if I don't piggyback onto something that Mike said last week. I think the most significant thing that I heard Mike say last week was that understanding the Bible does not lead to obedience and trust. How many of you guys remember that? Understanding the Bible doesn't lead us to obedience or trust. And more candidly, Pastor Mike said this. He said, our desire to understand the Bible is ahead of our obedience. Our desire to understand the Bible is way ahead of our obedience. He says, you are responsible for what you know right now. Now, if I could mimic the mind-blowing emoji, like I would do that right now. I think that that is so profound and I, I think that statement is the single biggest reason that the church is or is not what it is today. Just my opinion. But it's tied to the broad cultural desire for instant gratification. We want what we want, when we want it, how we want it, or else. That's the prevailing attitude in our culture, is it not? Okay, I'll take by your lack of willingness to say it out loud that it is. That's what we want, instant gratification. And sometimes 
We think that if we just learn enough or study enough, then we'll have what we need to be faithful in following after God. That would be a knowledge-based approach to discipleship. If I just do enough, I'll be good. If I just learn enough, I'll be okay. But as we learned last week, understanding does not lead to obedience. Another familiar kind of phrase that you may have heard is that we're so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good. How many of you heard that? No, we're so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good. And I understand there's some negative connotations to that. But my reason for sharing that is it communicates the idea behind a person that is so caught up in what's to come that they neglect the present. Do you know people like this? Maybe you've interacted with people this like this over the years. You might say that their desire to see Jesus' return is ahead of their willingness to share that with others. They're just like, let's go. Let's forget about what's going on around us. They've got their ticket punched, so to speak, and now they're just in waiting mode. Now, some of you won't get this reference. Maybe if you're over the age of 40, you may not get this reference. But we have some young people that probably will, hopefully. Here's the people that I'm describing. They're in a category which the gaming world would be called an NPC. Does anybody know an NPC? Just raise your hand. Okay, far fewer hands than I thought. And Pam knows. That's impressive. I like that. Okay. An NPC, that's a non-playable character or a non-player character. Right? It's someone in a game. Say you're playing a game and you're on this quest and there's all kinds of other little characters involved on your quest, but you can't interact with them. You can't talk to them. You can't, there's, they don't do anything. They're just there. You get the picture? An NPC. Church, we are not called to be NPCs in this life. Just wandering through this world, trying to figure out, um, just not even trying to figure out, just floating through life, waiting for things to happen to us. No real purpose, no real function. That's not a descriptor of the people of God. Is that fair to say? That's not an accurate descriptor of who the people of God should be. It is a descriptor of some people of God. <laughs> That I described momentarily, or just previously, I should say. But our hope is in God and what he's promised to those who have faith in him. That kind of trust and confidence in who God is cannot lead us to idleness. Knowing who God is and who he's called you to can't lead you to idleness and just kind of sitting by. I think it's impossible I think the opposite is actually true. That our hope and faith and promises of who God is actually motivate us to continue to influence the life and people around us. So I want to look at the text that I referenced during communion last week to hope, hopefully round out our teaching and equipping today. So I asked you to go to 1 Peter. It will be on the, the, the screen as well, but if you've got the Word of God in your hand in some form or fashion. Go to 1 Peter 1. I'm going to read verses 3 through 9. 1 Peter 1, starting verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept for you in heaven, kept in heaven for you 
who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Incredible scripture. I love what is here. So let's, let's look at this here. God the Father has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we just stop there, that is, that is beautiful and brilliant. <laughs> born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Made alive because of what Jesus has accomplished on your behalf and on my behalf. Because of his life, his death, and his resurrection, we have been set aside if we have faith in that. New creations in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away, the new has come. But Peter knows that we need a little bit more sometimes. So he builds on that as he goes. He says, we're born again to this living hope and the promises contained within the work and words of Jesus. But he says, we're also born again to, verse 4, an inheritance. We're born to an inheritance. How many of you ever received any kind of inheritance? None of you. One person. Two people. Okay, I guess we don't do that anymore. We just, we spend what we have and we don't leave it to our kids. If you have ever received an inheritance, or you've seen somebody in the movies receive an inheritance, it usually comes in the form of like a will or some kind of formal function, right? It's a wonderful thing. can be. Huge blessing. But everything that we might ever have or been given as an inheritance in this life will not last. No matter how much joy or identity or meaning it gives us, it will, out, out, it will outlast us or we will outlast it. In other words, it's temporary. And therefore, any hope that we place in this and these things that we might receive as an inheritance, it's not sustainable. We can't place our hope in these things. So what kind of inheritance does God the Father through Jesus Christ have for us? Something he uses three words, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That's, that sounds amazing. <laughs> How could I not be excited and compelled by this kind of language? Now, two hands went up that have received an inheritance. So most of you have no proof of reference point for this. And that's okay. Because anything you did receive, like I said, is just fading anyway. But everybody in the room who has put their faith in Jesus has this promise of an inheritance that is undefiled, imperishable, and unfading. You have a guarantee of that inheritance. Now, just by the description, we see that it's something that's going to last forever, and it will not diminish or fade away. Thankfully, we have some other scriptures in the New Testament that help us kind of round out that picture of what it looks like. Now, Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 5, that the meek shall inherit the what? The meek shall inherit the earth. Romans 8, 17 uh, basically says that we're children of God, and if we're children, we're what? 
fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him. Sometimes we forget that part. But we are co-heirs with Christ. That's a beautiful thing, right? So we've got this inheritance, we're co-heirs, and now you're asking yourself, okay, what is this imperishable, beautiful inheritance that we are going to be co-heirs with? What is it? It's everlasting life, a.k.a. the kingdom of God. We are inheritance, inheritors, to the kingdom of God. To rule and to reign with Jesus. We don't talk about this enough. That's what our future is. You talk about being hopeless and, and trudging through this life and all these challenges and trials, and we get downcast and, and frustrated and disappointed and all these things, yet this is what we have to look forward to. We forget all the time that we have this living hope, the kingdom of God that is coming for you and for me. If that doesn't, again, just get you up in the morning and going, then we don't have a clear picture of what this promise is. Now, don't take my word for it. Let's hear it from Jesus himself. Let's look at Matthew 25, 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's Jesus telling us what is going to happen when he, everybody stands before the Lord and he's going to divide people into categories based on their profession of faith and their trust in Christ. And to the ones in this category on the right, those who have put their faith in him, he says, you, you will inherit the kingdom of God and now you are going to be co-heirs with me. Come on, people. That's a living hope that we have in Christ. Beautiful. And it's being kept and maintained for us in heaven. We don't have to earn it. We can't earn it. We can't work for it. It's there. Other parts of the scriptures, Paul talks about it. It is sealed by the Holy Spirit. It cannot be corrupted. It cannot be taken away. It's ours, guaranteed by the Holy Spirit, sealed by our faith in Him. So we can't earn it. We can't work for it. But we are being prepared for it. We're being prepared here. That's why we cannot remain idle as NPCs in our own life. We were watching a movie last night. What was it? The Holiday? You ever seen that movie? Yeah. Cameron Diaz. Cameron Diaz, yeah. yeah. And one of the lines basically, um, he says, this is not my notes by the way, so I'm just kind of trying to remember what he says. This lady is struggling in her own life and having all these drama challenges and issues, and she's just depressed and sad. And he looks at her and goes, hey, what's your problem? Not, not he doesn't say that, but essentially, what's your problem? You're, su- you're, you're supposed to be the leading lady in your own life, and you're acting like the best friend. He's a writer. Like, you, you got the best friend who's there kind of just supporting and kind of that. She's like, you're acting like the best friend. You're supposed to be the leading lady in your own life. You are supposed to be an active participant in your own life and journey of following after Jesus Christ. You're not on the sideline. There's no observers in following Jesus. It does not work that way. It cannot. So God is using this life to equip you and me to prepare us for the life to come and the inheritance that he has. Do you think it will be um, a beautiful thing to be a co-heir with Christ? 
Absolutely. Do you want to be as prepared as you can be to take on that role of responsibility? Yes. That's what this life, in part, is for. Preparing you and me for that beautiful thing. Peter goes on to encourage us, verse 5. He's guarding you and me. He's protecting us because of our faith in him. He's sustaining us in this life for the realization of our promised salvation when he returns. It's encouraging. should be. Peter tells us then in verse 6 to rejoice over this truth and hope that we have in Jesus. Even when we face trials and tribulations. Actually, he says, even if you. I think he, he meant even when you face trials. I mean, that's basically what he was saying. Not if, but when you face trials, rejoice. Mike talked about it this morning. Rejoice in those opportunities because it is also for a reason. Everything that we go through in this life is meant for a purpose. He talks about gold being refined. When gold is heated up and impurities, imperfections rise to the top, it's scraped off, right? It's more purified, more perfect. What does it take to melt gold? A whole lot of heat and fire. In our lives, we come under pressure. It's uncomfortable. It's difficult. Think about the, the, the pruning of things. You want to be pruned? That doesn't sound fun. You want to be chiseled away? None of that sounds fun. <laughs> but all of it is for a purpose. To be refined and prepared for what is to come. Our faith is tested in this life. How many of you can attest to that fact? Amen. Absolutely. But why? To verify, verse 7, the genuineness of our faith. He says you're being tested to verify that your faith is genuine. Again, tested like gold by fire. That you and I may be found in the end bringing praise and honor and glory to God. When Jesus comes again. You're picking up on a theme here that there is a growing significance and anticipation of the promised return of Christ. And that this time in the wilderness, where we are right now, is meant to prepare us for that day, which is sure to come. And he says, even though you've never seen him physically, you believe. You have no, you have no empirical, tangible, like I can't put my hands around Jesus yet. He says, in spite of that, you still believe. Not only that, but you rejoice with joy. Look at verse 8. You rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. When's the last time that your life was marked by joy that is impossible to fully express? Because you know who you are in Christ and who you are called to be as an heir to the kingdom of God. I want that to mark my life. Amen. I've read over that like a bunch of times, but this time when I read it, like I thought it was a mistake. It's like, like joy and joy. You're using too many, you're using too many words. I don't think that word means what you think that means. <laughs> you believe. And rejoice with joy. Rejoice with joy. But he goes on. That is inexpressible. 
It can't be fully expressed. I love that. All of this life is meant to drive our faith and our hope deeper and deeper, to increase our joy and excitement more and more, and to prepare us for his glorious return as we ultimately, he says, obtain the outcome of our faith, which is what? The salvation of our souls. That's what he says. You are enduring this life, eyes fixed on Christ, being moved and ordered and directed according to the promises that we might arrive to our destination, being set apart on the right. You are inheritance of the kingdom of God. At that point, abstaining, abstaining, obtaining the outcome of our faith, which is the salvation of our souls. So what do we do in the waiting as we wrap this up? Well, we allow the Spirit of God to work in us. That we might see the fruit work in us. If you want to know what that looks like, look up Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit. That's the kind of things that we should see in our lives being produced as we are waiting, as we are being refined. The Spirit is producing in us this fruit. And every chance that we get, every chance that we get, we should live out 1 Peter 3, 12 through 15. Ben, keep it up, 1 Peter 3, 12 through 15. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. Thank God for that. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared to give an answer or make a defense for the reason why you have the hope that you have. All of us should be prepared to do this. He promised that he will come again for his people. Jesus made that very clear when he was here on this earth. And we can look back to all of the prophetic promises that call on his return and ushering in his kingdom fully. He promised that he will come for his people, wipe away every tear, restore fully his creation, and establish the kingdom forever and ever. Rejoice my friends, rejoice with joy inexpressible. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your goodness, your word, your mercy. God, this is, this is incredibly powerful. This truth that we are inheritance, inheritors, co-heirs to the kingdom of God. Lord, we do not deserve that. There's nothing in us that makes us worthy of that. But Lord, the fact that you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light, you have set us aside for a purpose. And God, we live and have our being in you, Christ. And we stand upon these promises. God, move in our hearts, move in our lives. Remind us often of the fact that you've called us in this life to put our eyes on you, the living hope, 
be consistent, steady, steadfast, faithful, and assured, God, that our future is guaranteed and secure. God, help us to be the ambassadors that you've called us to be, the light in the darkness, ministers of reconciliation, that we might herald the hope that we've heard about today to the world around us. We need your help in that. We ask for it now in Jesus' name. Amen.